February 27th, 2000. Amazed by Lone Star overtook Savage Garden's I Knew I Loved You, representing a last gap of pop relevancy for mediocre white men. On that note, after seeming like he could do no wrong in the 90s, Ben Affleck started the 2000s with Reindeer Games, and the feeling that he could do very, very wrong. The Bloodhound Gang released Hooray for Boobies. Look, I think you see where I'm going with this. Meanwhile, in Hartford, Connecticut, Triple H faced Mankind inside and outside Hell in a Cell at No Way Out. The only real celebrated bad mamajama, this is Hell in a Cell Phone. Welcome to another episode of Hell in a Cell Phone, the podcast where we attempt to make sense of the attitude era of WWE 20 years later. I'm your mediocre white man host, Aaron Benoit, joined as always by our wrestling historian, Bobby Hankinson. Also mediocre and white. Hello! (laughs) And experiencing this all for the first time, Eric Silver. God, happy to be on the podcast as mediocre and as white as uh, all three of us are. Savage Garden. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you've been savaged garden yeah we've got uh you've got a flock of geese and a group of three mediocre white men is called a podcast yep but please yeah, please a, please overlook that and rate us and review us on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts if you can rate on there just throw a rating up well there. like you, you can rate us on our mediocrity you know like <laughs> Look, like there's always scales of everything. So in our pursuit to be mediocre, I mean, I think we get five stars on white. Um, <laughs> but if you, if, you know, like in our pursuit to be mediocre, I think we're doing a pretty fantastic job. So, you know, just reflect that in your, you know, feedback. Bobby, I think I, I can't remember the, the exact reference, but I remember you referencing a movie and saying that was the movie when you realized that movies could be bad. Am I making this up? Wow, I don't know. I mean, that definitely like something he said, but I don't know. Yeah, how. it definitely sounds like something I would say. <laughs> but I can very vividly remember watching the movie Reindeer Games in the, the year two thousand and being like, "Oh man, Ben Affleck, Charlize Theron, and Gary Sinise. This movie can't possibly be bad." And then it turned out, no, wow. it was very, very, very bad. Yeah, I feel like actually this was a this was something Bobby probably said on a, maybe an episode or two ago, probably like a pay per view or two ago, because it was probably it was something about movie talk, and it was from around this time. There were a lot of mediocre movies uh, in the nineties and <laughs> the early two thousands. Well, the and I guess now the number one movie that week was uh, the whole nine yards, which I mean, talk about the uh, the friends post friend careers and whole lot of mediocre movies from there that was a series too didn't they do like the whole there was a whole 10 yards 11 motherfucker um amanda pete was super hot michael she was also topless in that right and uh michael clark duncan i will always uh we didn't get enough of him so the the few that we do I'll, i'll appreciate those but yeah the whole nine yards was basically that that genre of like a uh, fish out of water in a contract killer situation, right? Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's analyzed this, 
but he's a dentist instead of a um, instead of a, ther- a therapist. And uh, okay, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's funny because it's like okay, the therapist that you know like a lot more of your personal problems come out. A dentist is very incidental. Uh, like there's, I mean, it would be funny if that movie took place like every, just like in patches over every six months. So it was like boyhood, but but with a dentist. But in someone's mouth. <laughs> boyhood in someone's mouth. Uh, also, at the top that week was the movie Snow Day. I don't remember it. I don't know anything about it. Oh, I'm I remember there was it. Snow. I'm having like a like a like a flashbulb memory of the trailer. Mm-hmm. I, I remember a lot of like. Um, quick cuts a lot of running a lot of snowsuits a lot of snowballs a lot of uh music that would indicate hijinks are to come that's what i feel like that's that's the vibe i guess that's a, i'm getting something <laughs> like that's what i'm getting who who was in it i don't children i i think i honestly think it's mostly children but i also want to say jane kasmarak from uh malcolm but i could absolutely be wrong but i also could be incredibly right I want to say either Chevy Chase or Chris Elliott is in this movie. There You're is... right. I think about both because Chris Elliott is in it. I'm looking at the uh, the poster and it, I do see a Chevy Chase. Yeah, I think and it's Chris Chevy Elliott. Chase and Chris Elliott. Gene Smart. Gene Smart is the um, Iggy Pop. Pam Greer. Guys, should we watch Snow Day? <laughs> oh, Skylar wow. Fisk was one of the kids. Wow. Oh, who's that? Huh. That's... Um, uh, see SpaceX daughter. Oh, okay. And she was um. She was in uh, Orange County, a movie that I found delightful. Oh yeah, I do know Orange County. Um, I mean, we talked about it before. Uh, yeah. I I mean, I I feel like there's a. The, this is like probably one of those movies where it was a little past the time of Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. You know, like Chevy Chase did family movies well around the maybe as late as the late nineties, right? Because like that's that was when the National Lampoon did stuff. He, because, okay, I mean, I am. I'm going to break the the mold here. I don't like Christmas Vacation, and I know it's a lot of people's holiday staple. I liked Vegas Vacation. When was the last time you watched Christmas Vacation? <laughs> uh, a few years ago. I don't know. Okay, but should I go back? I mean, I should I try it again? Christmas Vacation is like a sacred text in my family. Like it is, we watch it every single year. It huh. is like oft quoted by every member of the family, even the members of the family that don't understand what pop culture is. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is a it is a sacred tome, and it is. And I rewatch it. We definitely watch it at least once every holiday season, and it always makes there's like parts of it that always make me laugh and like nathan and i have like will like reference lines from it like all year long like just oh uh, uh, you know uh, i don't know margo like uh, uh honestly julie Louise dreyfus is one of my favorite parts of that whole movie um but it is very very good all right um i I'll, I'll i'll come in down in the middle um i remember liking it when i first saw it and i probably liked it out of the out of the original trilogy, um, I think I like maybe I like Vacation the most, and then uh, Christmas Vacation second, and European Vacation third. Something about European Vacation just like I think it just kind of bores me. It goes a little bit like off the rails. Um, 
but I also was I also haven't watched it in a long time, so I was kind of like, I don't know, maybe I maybe I like you know, maybe it lost its magic over time. Uh, but if Bobby, if you're swearing by I, it, maybe I'll, I'll have to. Check I it feel out confident again. that like because I watched it every year, and it's not just nostalgia. Like I and every time I was like thinking about it a lot this year when I was watching it too, was like I actually really admire like the joke structure, like some of the stuff is just like so actually funny, and Chevy Chase is much of a. Uh, asshole as he famously is um, there's just like certain physical comedy things that he just does that are just so fucking good that it's just like it's just so enjoyable to watch I think it's I really really I think there's like a yeah I think it's just the comedy is good I think it's well written and the jokes are sharp and there's like a bunch of stuff in there that I think is like really surprising and you know good I think for a holiday film uh, I, I would rather watch that than a lot of other things well, it's probably. I've never watched Vegas Vacation. It's probably almost the uh, the holiday season again, isn't it? Who even knows? It feels about right. <laughs> I still have my Christmas tree, so yeah, <laughs> fine. Uh, music. Uh, it doesn't get much more '90s or early 2000s, I guess, than uh, Three Doors Down, The Better Life, featuring the song Kryptonite. Oof. Uh, you know, I, I still kind of like that song a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, glad someone said it. It does kind of slap a little bit. Like, right? I mean, like, it does <laughs> yeah. have like, a really good chorus if you ignore everything about it. I love this. It's like, uh, kryptonite. Except I do kind of like, like the <laughs> the, the allowance that we we are giving each other to enjoy the song kryptonite. Because like, there's a lot of it. That, um, look, we've, I we've... mean, like, <laughs> speaking mediocre white man. It's like it's a sad song for being a mediocre white man. Uh, like, mm-hmm. and that's like why I think it's like I have like a visceral like oh three doors down kryptonite, but really at the end of the day there's like that that chorus is just great. Uh, but that guy, it's the co- he yeah. looks like a character in a movie. No, you know the lead singer of Three Doors Down looks like uh one of the guys from the first season of um Pen Fifteen, one of the actual teenage children that they kiss the one that she kisses like at the party. Sorry, spoilers. It's from the first season. Um, oh yeah. That kid yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of like the little, he becomes, he becomes like a goth yes. kid. He becomes like a very goth kid um, in the second season. Is that, that's the kid who, um, the kid who winds up doing like tech in the, uh, in the, in I'm their play. Sure, right? I think so. That, I think he, so. He looks like a mix between, I think the two kids from there, that kid. And also the one, who has a crush on Maya. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't know if we're talking about the same kid or not, but I feel like the answer to both is yes. Uh <laughs> he's this guy the, the singer of this band has like a weird potato head, you know what I mean? In a way that's like it feels <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it feels like he's in the still in the middle of his awkward phase, and you're like, he'll uh-huh. grow out of that, right? Uh it's like uh it's like just add water and you'll get Ewan McGregor. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at this point, it was bad. He's also still got a Caesar haircut in uh, at least one of the videos. Everybody had a Caesar at. haircut at this point, and I hated it. I did not have a Caesar haircut. <laughs> I did not either. At least they didn't have long hair, right, Bobby? That's correct. That would be the worst option. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This yeah, this song is like it's a you know it it's strong. I, look, I I'm not gonna put it on ever, but <laughs> I like it. Um, actual amazing album that came out, uh, Ghostface Killer's Supreme Clientele, uh, and the debut of Beanie Siegel with The Truth, which featured some of the earliest uh, Kanye beats. 
Um, and then also the Together album came out then, which was really, really funny. Like the Together video, um, I Know My Calculus. Girl, I Know My Calculus. Because You Plus yeah. Me is Us. Together was great. And Together and Josie and the Pussycats, the movie, are like from the, I feel like birthed from the same uh, sense of humor. And they have like, mm-hmm. you know, that same sort of like uh, anti-capitalist sort of like subversive uh, stuff. They were sort of like this, like a uh, commentary on the boy band machine that was happening, and I loved it. Yeah, I loved it just because just the Pussycats is a lot. There's like the same, it hits a lot of the same joke. I haven't seen the Josie and the Pussycats movie. You've never seen the Josie and the Pussycats movie, have no. you, Eric? Uh, I feel like I have fuck, some of it, of all, but not all of it. I think it was on HBO or something. All, fuck both of you. This I am actually deeply, I am <laughs> deeply angry by. Because one, it's a legitimately, I mean, it's a, it's definitely kind of stupid. The humor isn't super smart, but there is, there is like more of a movie there than you're expecting. Like there, it, it is like, like together, like it's the same kind of idea and the same sort of, uh, subversiveness in that way. But the music in Just the Pussycats movie fucking slaps like you wouldn't believe because it's it's the Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo, Biff Naked, the guy from Fountains of Wayne, like did all the music. And then so, so all the, like the, the album, the soundtrack is fucking awesome. It's so good. Uh, that's why so many bands now like co- like Charlie Bliss played a whole uh, show playing that whole album, like playing just covers of that Josie the Pussycat soundtrack. It's so good. Alan Cumming is in it. It's right. uh, Parker Posey. It's great. Yeah, I think I saw like the end of it, but I don't know if I saw the yeah. beginning. I, anyway, uh, I will push back on saying it's anti-capitalist. I think it's probably more anti-commercial. You know what I mean? Like, because I don't. No, because I mean, Josie. Josie. Do you think it's watch Josie and the Pussycats? Maybe not uh, together because I'm, I'm remembering that less. But Josie and the Pussycats, it's all about consumerism, at least. Okay, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I think there's. The thing is, a lot of the like the a lot of things from around that time, I think, were, uh, you know, they were definitely big on exposing the fact that that there is a vertically integrated, you know, selling machine. And so, yeah, I like the commercialism aspect a hundred percent. You know, like where it's like, well, we're gonna like, do you guys do art? We're going to find a way to exploit that and like make as much money off of you. And and you're going, you know, it's kind of like. Um, uh, Wayne's World did the same thing, right? It's mm-hmm. a similar. There's a similar storyline there where it's like we have this this great little thing, and watch what happens when big money comes in and corrupts it. Yeah. So I think of it like, and maybe it may, again, not having seen all of Josie and the Pussycats, maybe I've got this wrong, but that's kind of how I put those those kinds of that genre of things where it's like about the corruption of business interests which is you know there is a certain anti-capitalist aspect to it but i think like i don't know they're probably like i think they're probably still into the market in that in those movies but it also participates in a society (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) all right should we talk about some wrestling oh my god i guess this is actually a good one to talk about okay yes let's do it it's this pay-per-view was not as good as josie and the pussycats I like this. I, I like, like the, this pay per view a lot. I did too. Okay. Um, before, <laughs> I will say it's not. It's not better than the last pay per view. Before getting to the pay per view, though, you guys will be very, very surprised by the fact that Al Snow is almost getting Steve Blackman over 
on the lead up to this. I, that does surprise me. <laughs> oh God, how? So Al Snow, does it... Al Snow, um, and they and C. Blackman have teamed up together. Al Snow does is doing a lot of pitches for gimmicks for the two of them, including him coming out with a cheese wheel and Al Snow coming out with head and then being head cheese and the head cheese uh, chant throughout the stadium and uh, Steve Blackman getting upset. It's the best thing that Al Snow could do with the least charismatic person ever. So is Steve Blackman like, does he, is he adding anything to it or is he literally just hanging on for dear life and hoping that like he makes it through? He, in his, um, in his like angry, like uh, dismissal of these gimmicks, um, they're in a match against Too Cool, and Al Snow convinces him to dance, which he does a little moonwalk and gets pinned immediately afterwards. It's funny. Hmm. Okay, so he's like, he he's being cast in this as like the reluctant uh, gimmick participator, exactly. and it makes him like he's the he's the straight man. He's the Bert. Exactly. Okay. I mean, I guess that's really the only thing you can have him play because he sucks, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sucks so much. Uh, we've also got a JR interview with Stone Cold Steve Austin when we learn that he is now engaged to Deborah and says that he will return to the ring in about three or four months. And most exciting for me and probably Bobby, S.A. Rios, uh, a newcomer for you, Eric, took the light heavyweight championship off of Gilberg, but more importantly than that is he is being accompanied to the ring by Lita, who's fucking awesome. Her whole thing is doing his finishing moves against the the opponents after he does them. So he does a moonsault, she does a moonsault. It's dope. And just, like, Mm. take a minute to think about that. Like, we've been watching... uh... May Young and Mula and Ivory and BB writhe around in mud pools or whatever. And then I think it might be worth uh, off mic uh, sending Eric a couple of those, like even just like the fin- just to watch the finish of some of those like heat matches. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I remember watching, I remember very, I used to watch heat weekly. Uh, that was like part of my like weekly wrestling appointment television. So I remember watching Lita debut in real time and being like, Oh, this is the fucking coolest person I've ever seen in my entire life. I was like, this is, I want to know everything about her. I want to be her. Like, I'm like, I am, I, I, I was obsessed, obsessed with her. Um, cause she's, it was, um, she just has this, it was the best end to the weekend was, uh, was Sunday night heat followed by the Simpsons. Yes. A hundred percent. And King of the Hill, a hundred percent. Um, but she came, she comes out, she has this amazing, like punk rock red hair. She's got this fucking huge, gorgeous tattoo and she just like looks like a badass fucking chick. And she does a fuck and to see someone do a a woman like that, do a moonsault. I hadn't seen a woman do a moonsault ever. (laughs) It was, it it was, my jaw was on the floor. Like it, she was incredible. She was like the first, you know, you guys know how much I love women's wrestling obviously uh and this was like seeing this it blew my it blew my mind it was like watching like a real life video game superhero land i was uh, obsessed and we'll get her into our purview soon enough but tonight we're talking about the no way out pay-per-view from february of 2000 we start off with Cactus Jack in some kind of saw contraption with a whole bunch of barbed wire around him. 
Um, yeah, I'm going to say right now, like, anytime you give Mick the the intro, he does not drop the fucking ball at all. Like, we've had so many intros, and, like, you know, sometimes you get Freddie Blassie, you know, saying it. Sometimes you have, it was a, has it been Michael Cole in the past? I don't think so. Anyway, there, there's been other people, right? Todd but, Pettengill. Um, yeah, Todd Pettengill. Right, right, right. So, uh, and like, you know, they always have like, you know, relatively good delivery. But when you break break down what they're saying, a lot of times it's just like, like gibberish. You know, like mm-hmm. it doesn't really, the the whole is almost better than the sum of the parts because the sum of the parts don't make any sense. But I don't know if Mick actually wrote this himself. I would I would assume he did because all of it made sense. And like it was all like this is the theme is that I am trying to live out, you know, my dream of of headlining, of main eventing at MSG. And I got to say, talk about uh, Mick Foley uh, dead on the camera with his hair feathered just right. Handsome. (laughs) handsome like a handsome face like hair yes, too long yes. for, he's a handsome yes. guy. hair too long for me obviously i wouldn't say i was like super sexually aroused by him but i was like that is a what a hit what a handsome man i was like not expecting with that that straight to camera uh look and i was like man i'm a little excuse me <laughs> mr foley mr jack and if the point of these intros is to to elevate these guys to again to like these superhero type statuses, they there hasn't been a better job than what they've done with Mick Foley and Triple H up to here. I would say that these guys, in watching these promos, in watching the build to this pay per view, are at a higher level to me than the Rock and Stone Cold were at WrestleMania 15. Yeah, I mean, there's there's more emotion behind it for sure. Like, I think the difference between The Rock and Stone Cold and what we see with Mick and Triple H is that The Rock and Stone Cold was like bravado against bravado. It was like like just uh, two bulls just hitting each other with their heads until one of them like falls. And I think what we're seeing here is there's a little bit more uh pathos involved there's more of a of a plot and and it's it's about like uh, it's about the end of a career and the beginning of another Mm -hmm. there's it is it's just like a different it's like a little bit of a different trope to play on you know it's like the passing of the torch like the rising of a new supreme uh like so it's like the olders their their power you know uh, or the two young hungry upstarts. Like there's only room for one of them at the top. Which one's gonna make it? Both of you fight, fight, fight. Uh, so I, I, I could, I think they're a little bit different beasts. Oh, totally. But is there any better stipulation than career versus title? No, I don't think so. Death versus title. <laughs> And then uh, somebody didn't move the mouse in enough time, and all of a sudden we get the pipe dream screensaver in the background. <laughs> no way out. Holy shit! That pipe that pipe sequence was like edited by Triple H because it was just so fucking lo- like it was like no 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 you guys did some good work let's pull that out to about forty five seconds <laughs> it went so fucking long. 
And here we are now with the first match. We've got Kurt Angle versus Chris Jericho. Um, a little bit to talk about with Jericho on the build-up to this is is his naming convention right here. First calling Kurt Angle, Kirk Angel. I love that. I love that so much. Yep. But even better... Kirk, right? Kirk Angel, yeah. <laughs> but even better than that, Amazing. did you guys catch that he started calling Crash Holly Elroy Jetson? <laughs> which is... Yes. The most yes. destructive nickname for somebody who wants to be taken seriously because it's so apt and so perfect. They were calling him Elroy, uh, was it in the, in the last deep dive? I think we were talking about how the crowd was was calling him Elroy. Is that right? No, we never wound up talking about it because I definitely clocked it and was like, are we going to talk about this or are we going to talk about it on the next pay-per-view? Got it. Um, China and Jericho have been working together, which has been really, really fun to watch. Uh, and... On January 31st, we had The Rock versus Kurt Angle. Uh, I almost called him Kirk Angel again. <laughs> See, that's um, a, it's such a devastating read because it like sticks and it's like fuck. <laughs> now we're all like his mother's gonna start calling him that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kurt, that's when Kurt took his first loss, uh, his first pin in there. So we're no longer dealing with that storyline. Uh, but Kurt, somewhere along the way, picked up the European Championship from Val Venus as well. So that brings us to tonight. Um, Whaler's Heat is usually a special kind of heat in Connecticut, but it, the crowd never really picked up on that one. Yeah. But uh, what would you guys think about China's Pyro Bazooka? I mean... I was just like, why not give every superstar a bazooka? Why not? Like, what? You had this technology all along? I fucking love the China Pyro Bazooka. Love it. It is a special little bit of the Attitude Era, for sure. And uh, you might have been asking yourself early on, is China in this match? But no, she's not. Yep. Yeah, um, also, so is like... Is Jericho the face? Or is he a tweener, I guess? No, I think in this point, he's in full-blown uh, face territory. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. I, I was a little bit confused, obviously, not knowing what was Put going on. Put it this on. way, he's over, but I don't know if his alignment is face. Does that make sense? Like, he definitely... I don't... I don't. I, in matches, I don't know if he's always wrestling the face... If he's face, wrestling the face role. In the build to this, pretty much... I mean, because I mean, there, there's no doubt that Angle is in the yeah. heel alignment in this year, and so I, I can't think of any where he was doing like full blown heely shit on. I mean, it seems like the build later this in this pay per view, he's doing something very heely. I would think. We can talk uh, more about it later, but yeah, yeah, it's almost by degrees, right? Mm-hmm. So like, Kurt Angle is a, such a it, he's on the polarity of being such a such a well established heel that he makes Chris Jericho look like or a I face. I think it's just that Chris Jericho is so good and, and he's clever and funny and has just like hit his stride finally or is like starting to like really pick up steam but the crowd is just so behind him uh, that they're going to cheer for him. But it's actually, it's you know, it's funny when you think about it because Chris Jericho is being a heel and getting cheered as a face and Kurt Angle is acting like a, you know, is being almost like a hyper face but it is being booed by the crowd. And like they're doing it on, everyone's doing their parts exactly right but uh, it's just funny to me yeah it's attitude, attitude man baby 
It was definitely uh, this match answered a long-standing question of mine. I never understood why Kurt Angle shaved his head throughout his career, but man, that front part of his hair is doing its best to escape the back part. Oh, you never you yeah. I've been I've been watching the male pattern baldness on on Kurt Angle since he's premiered. I've just been like, well, you are not long for this <laughs> earth. I don't know, guys. Ten ten still would smash. <laughs> oh, we knew that. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't know that, you've certainly let us know that that's true. over the past few episodes. That's true. That's true. That's true. And this is just a great pairing of two guys whose movesets complement each other so well. Um, and Kurt Angle is definitely of the build where he can go with just about anybody and make it seem credible. And so even for a smaller guy like Jericho, who's we've seen before how he's able to go with, with just about everyone, these two working together, they create some really fun things. Yeah, I fucking love the every time there's like a springboard drop kick. Like anytime like the they're bringing so much of this like bouncing off the ropes and I love it. It's so much fun. I think my favorite submission move has always been the Walls of Jericho. I love the the attempt to get it locked in all the way around, the the absolute anguish on everyone's face when it's sold really really well. The pop from the crowd just like it sell that's what sells it for me. Like when they when he started to put uh angle into the into the walls, I like the crowd flipped out about it. It was awesome. And so at some point Kurt Angle takes the European championship into the ring, is unable to use it until the ref is distracted. Jericho goes for an SIA moonsault. Angle holds up the belt, hits Jericho, and gets the pin. He is now a double champion. So, okay, so did did Kurt come in having the European champion and w- he was trying to win the Intercontinental? Or? Yeah, that's right. I th- it, the European championship was it, never on the line. Okay, because I, I got confused and I thought maybe that Jericho was holding both belts before, but I guess not. Nope. Okay. Um, but I hate that little bit of story inconsistency at the end with the other ref running in and saying that the uh, that that someone did did something nefarious. It's like if you're gonna do that, you have to do that every time or never do that. Yeah, and but we see that play out throughout the night, um, and I also don't love it. Yeah, I... well, it just it, it didn't really like lead to much, you know, like. Well... The like a ref fight. What we were missing. What we were missing is like I needed them to be miked. Like I needed to know like what they were yelling about because mm-hmm. I just imagine it's like Earl Hebner to Tim White being like, "What are you doing? You didn't see them use the belt." And he's like, "We never see them use the belt." Like that. That should be the whole conversation. <laughs> so like I just don't know what the rest of the fight was or why they'd even be mad at each other. It's like y'all fuck this shit up all the time. Why are you mad at each other? It's like the ref did something on purpose. Like it was like this is so nuts. Like I'm, I was missing like. I'm like I understand they're fighting. Like I understand like the information I need to follow the next beat of the story. But I I I was taking your word for it. Like I was taking your word for it that they're mad at each other for some reason. What reason? I don't know. But it, I don't know. Does it even does it lead to like an Earl Hebner versus Tim White re- uh, match for like the four people who asked for it? I don't 
I, I honestly don't remember, but I think what we're actually seeing though is a lot through the uh, other matches of the night. Then I think this this will add a adds like a layer of um, distrust uh, or questioning the referees throughout a few of these matches of this mm. evening, which I think then may call into question perchance the legitimacy of the results of those matches. Okay. We then go backstage where Michael Cole is interviewing the Dudleys. Bubba looking as though he's going to straight up murder somebody. So intense. He looks so intense. Very, very... He's just like... I think actually the both of them, that was one of the things I noticed in this whole match was like uh, when they weren't wrestling, when they were just like either after a match or before a match, like the intensity in their facial expressions was scary in in a very good way. And they had two words for the outlaws, three and D, although one of those is a number and the other one is a letter. Yep. Neither of them are words. I mean, you can spell out three. Look, I was just happy that they got it out with no stuttering. Like, it was, everything was very mm-hmm. fluidly spoken. I think we're spoken. done with the stutter yeah. now. I think this is the point we're I done. I think so. Yeah, we're done now. Now it's just I think his... we're still going to get, like, a few references to it, but I think now it's just, like, the, the I'm going to murder women yeah, it, is the Yeah, it's I'm going to get sexually aroused putting um, women through tables is essentially the, the shtick. Yeah, so we oh. saw that on uh, January 24th. Terry was put through through a table after the Outlaws versus the Hardy Boys. Um, and that, Okay. <laughs> Go on, sorry. And then BB uh, is also put through a table after the Outlaws and Edge and Christian. So uh, you sent me the clip where Terry was put through a table. And, I mean... I, you know, for obvious reasons, it had to be set up the way it was set up. But the way that they set it up, it was like just the softest spot I've ever seen. Like where he he takes he takes uh, Terry and you can just see that he's just like basically just taking her for a nice little ride. He he sits down, you know, he breaks the table sitting down and then just lays her out nice. Like it was they should like have that be a ride, a great adventure. Just like <laughs> go through the tables with Bubba, you know, like literally there, there was no, I don't think there was any physical demand on the part of Terry for this particular bump. No, and nor should there be. I don't want, don't want her in charge of anything as far as like the safety goes with anybody. Um, but I mean, there is kind of like the, the, the larger conversation now about this acceptable violence against women or enjoyable violence against women. Yeah. And it's one thing when we had Jeff Jarrett doing it as a clear heel. And also mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it was good or I'm not saying that it was justified, but I am saying that it was presented as evidence of a nefarious actor of someone. It is reason why we should be booing them as per our, yeah, it was yeah, a morality our societal contract. Thing. Yeah. Now things are very different and it's a whole now we're kind of happy. And this will also play out later in uh, a couple other scenes later in the night. Um, but there starts to be like a weird switch. And you had brought this up before about like people cheering violence against women. And I was like, so thrown and I was like, Oh no, that's not really happening here. I think you might, we were talking about it with China, um, China, China against yeah. men. And I was like, mm, I don't really get that vibe. And I think why I, it was hard for me to get that vibe is because I was, I am anticipating this vibe 
which is very clearly uh, a bloodlust for violence against women in a way that made chi- what happened with China look like nine to five. You want to hear something funny? Um, I think my impression of this went the opposite way because um, I think the, the stuff with China was what, you know, was jarring to me, you know, seeing how they did all that stuff and, and you know, feeling what I felt at the time. But because I've seen this stuff so much, I became desensitized. So when it was like, I mean, I, okay, I did have a bit of, uh, there was something inside me that definitely was like, hey, don't hit a woman. You should put her through a table. I was like, Jesus Christ. But like, I what it, it didn't quite, uh, give me the same discomfort that the China thing did because I think I've been like my mind has been mentally prepared by all of the previous stuff to just be like well this is where we are now like women can go through tables women are going to get beaten and it's not going to be like by done by bad guys it's going to be done by anybody you know yeah it's weird because you're always going to get a pop for going through a table like there's just the something about the action of it is going to trigger that little dopamine hit in your lizard brain saying that this is cool. And as much as Jr. is shouting about the damn Dudleys, it's still um, there's still that uh, incongruous um, train of thought that goes through your mind as you're watching this. Like I know I shouldn't, but ooh, <laughs> there's something still titillating about it. I wish that they would keep the subtext subtext and just allow us to be like, oh, he's coming from going through the table. I don't need King to be like, oh, it's an almost orgasmic feeling that's going through Bubba Ray mm-hmm. Dudley as he does this. That I can 100% mm-hmm. imagine Vincent Kennedy with a man in his headpiece saying, say orgasmic, damn it, say orgasmic. He's not just enjoying it, he's, he's on the precipice of coming. Like I just like, hear him like screaming in a headset. He's got a jizz. Talk about the jizz. <laughs> I, it's funny um, what you bring up about Jr. because you know it made me think that like uh, there are times where where Lawler as the heel announcer. There are a lot of times where Lawler as the heel announcer will kind of like say his his heel announcer things about a match, and you just kind of like you're just like up. Oh, like Lawler's just being he's kind of just saying what he needs to say to be the heel and like it's not really it doesn't have any effect on how you perceive the match in any way um but in the same way that that Lawler is a heel announcer uh like JR is a face announcer in a in a way where he's all like there are things like especially in the I guess in the attitude error aspect of it there are things that he's saying where it's almost like it's a little bit like tut tut Mm. Uh, where you're like, oh, you know, we we should have known that it would be a little a little too risque for Jr. to be on board. Like, you know, we've we've passed Jr.'s line, but that's just because Jr. is a bit of a prude. So, you know, it, it's not like Jr. is necessarily steering us towards some sort of like moral conclusion about things. It's kind of like Jr. is there to kind of be a little bit of a school marm and just kind of you know like the. The uh, like like your parents being like you know seeing you watch you know watching this over your shoulder and going did he just put a woman through a table that's not right and then you know you're kind of like oh they don't get it you know yeah that's a really good point it brings me back to I, I think Bobby said it really well when it said too often the heel announcer is just the contrarian announcer 
And so I think with that, it's almost like Jr. is the the contrarian of like fun. <laughs> he's the yes. fun police. Yeah, he's totally fun policing on uh, like in this role. Um, I think that's I think like yeah, just let us. I think that's the the dynamic that they table. struck with tweeners, right? And uh, not to be outdone though, Road Dog decided to add a little bit of gay panic to his shtick, starting things off. Uh, can I say, by the way, that Road Dog's intros are a little bit like our podcast bits, where they're just like more and more things keep <laughs> yeah. getting added onto yeah. it. Uh huh. Sure did. <laughs> That's completely fair. Uh, I think this is a fine match. Yeah, one of the better uh, New Age Outlaws matches, I would say. Actually, mm-hmm. one of the ones I enjoy. Yeah. I actually think this is one of my uh, one of the ones I enjoyed the most. Um, the Dudleys are great, but, uh, as we know, uh, so Billy Gunn is actually working this match hurt. Um, he's already mm. hurt. That's why sort of the post-match, the, the attack angle is sort of there to help write him off of television for a bit. He already had, I believe, rotator cuff surgery ahead of this match and was like slated to have time off after, which is why Road Dog took the majority of the, the, the majority of the work here tonight. Um, this was part of his rehab program from surgery. <laughs> yeah, this, they were like, "Yeah, get out there, go through a table, uh, three tables a week." That's the, the PT. <laughs> well, like the, I, I have to say, I mean, that makes sense because, but like when I saw them hit him with a pipe, I was like, "That, that does not look like it's doing anything." Like, oh my god, look at his arm! Oh, I thought they did okay Let's, with that one. Have to rub it. What's that? I thought they did okay with that one. I guess I, I I don't think I ever I ever I don't think I ever buy the pipe for whatever I certainly reason. bought this pipe more than I bought the one later to this evening. <laughs> <laughs> um. By the way, I just think it's kind of funny to imagine if like the way that that Devon gives head is like jumping off the top rope, just flying right onto someone's like crotch. Uh, that, that doesn't seem like it would be pleasurable for anybody. No, <laughs> but the Dudleys win. The crowd's excited, um, and we've had two title changes already on this show. After this, we had cut to Kurt Angle celebrating with his fans. I don't get this runner. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it's just weird again because he's the heel. So why would we show him? Like, show the adulation of the crowd, which we've known to this point to be booing him. I mean, you show me any wrestler, like, I'm I'm at this stadium and Headbanger Mosh comes in. I'm going to be like, oh, my God, yeah! I'm, like, jumping all on top of him. I want to touch the belt, but... And then we got to one of the funniest moments of the evening for me. We've got a picture outside of Foggy Hartford. <laughs> All that fog obscuring the eight buildings that make up the Hartford skyline. (laughs) Follow that one up with Mark Henry versus Viscera, the definition of a cooldown match. This is when Nathan came in the room. Nathan came in the room. He looked at Viscera and he went, Missy Elliott? And that was it. He's like, he's like, it was the fashion of the time. He's like, but I think he's wearing Missy Missy Elliott's jacket. I was like, what? I was like, oh, you mean Viscera. (laughs) (laughs) 
I I I wrote uh what do you, what is this match doing here? You belong on Raw. Yeah. No, this match belongs on in the trash. It's I uh, ugh. And it's sad because the two guys are doing their best. Their best just isn't up to anything else on this card. Uh, I thought Mark Henry knew how to run into stairs really well. He did run into stairs great. Yeah, like he had a... <laughs> I was like, wow, that looks like it hurts. This it both uh, exceeded expectations and um, still managed to disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> it exceeded really yeah. low expectations uh and it still failed uh to be satisfactory <laughs> yeah it's like it's like hamburger helper like you know you don't expect much from it and then even when it it hits whatever it's supposed to hit you're like well it still could have been like not hamburger helper at least the crowd was having a good time someone brought in a beach ball <laughs> didn't they weren't they chanting boring the whole time <laughs> Yeah, this was definitely a cool. Also, run. oh my god, once once May came in, I was just like, I swear to God, please stop bringing out EMTs. I can't deal with another match that ends with e- with EMTs, just like stabilizing a person, especially a you know stabilizing somebody who's just coming out playing like a clown role. Well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Bobby, but I don't think we're gonna have much more May Young. Yeah, and same. No, we're not going to have much more Mark Henry for a bit. Oh, I want to say this is his oh, wow. last pay per view appearance for a little while. Um, Mark Henry's um, sent back to Ohio Valley Wrestling for some some training and some tune up uh, at this point. So he's, I believe, he might be gone for a couple years. Um, I don't know if he's gone completely after wow. this, but I think this is his last pay per view appearance. Well, in um, in celebration of that, uh, and in response to the the open question we had from our last deep dive, I think it, I think his music begins with like sexual, and then but then what we heard also was like the hey, yeah, like a little bit like that that um, Barry White kind of like hey, that's what comes in. I know, to but start I, I still music, think right? that is him saying sexual. I think it's the, that that tone is singing sexual. It's the Yule of Wait. sexual. And then there's a spoken... Yes. Wait. I'm going to look up the lyrics on Genius later. <laughs> <laughs> like, you think they go, like, like sexual, and then, like, sexual! Yeah, yeah like I that? think all those songs were, like, sexual, uh, sexual. Yes, that's, like, literally, I think, how the <laughs> songs of that work. <laughs> I I'm okay. Well, look, I'm going to, I'm going to re-listen to it. I'm going to get like a clean copy. Uh, I just, yeah, to me, it just sounds like a, like, like a, like, Hey, let's get it on. Like kind of thing, you know? (laughs) We then go backstage for an interview with Jericho who reassures us that there is no friction with China, but Kirk better look out. God, the way the way that Jericho says again is my favorite. Is China in her um uh purple warm up suit at this point? I, could, I can't remember. No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> that Carmelo Soprano ass looking warm up. I mean, I do love China's wig throughout the night. Like, I do love China's Luke. Uh, when she was at the ring earlier, and I do, but when when the purple jumpsuit appear, like uh, athleisure wear 
uh, appears, it's jarring for someone we've almost exclusively seen in like black leather dominatrix. And all of a sudden she's walking around, um, in this, you know, uh, blurpleberry sort of, <laughs> she looks like she should be like a cereal mascot. China berry. <laughs> Mr. S meanwhile is getting his shoulder looked at. He's not letting those EMTs rub it properly, though. <laughs> like, just let them do their job, man. Then we've got the Hardys versus Edge and Christian in a number one contenders match. Bobby said it before. So excited. Loves so a number one match. contenders match. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got the added wrinkle here of the Acolytes. The APA are out there having been hired by Terry, who has some PTSD from what happened with the Dudleys, which is a really good justification. Yeah. Um, I do need to, to once again plug on um, February 7th, the hardcore match between the Acolytes and the Hollies where Viscera goes for a run-in <laughs> to hit the to hit Bradshaw <laughs> with a 2x4 and then just falls over in the most Benny Hill-ass <laughs> looking way. That meme... Yeah, I mean, uh, you sent that clip. It's you great. You did that clip and that could be so many memes. So many memes. <laughs> It's like me buying a Law of Attraction planner in January 2020. You know what I mean? It's like it's all of this. <laughs> like that's, it's me with my Law of Attraction planner running in to save the day. <laughs> uh, and this is a good match. Of course this it's a good match. a very good match. Of course it's a good match. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. First of all, okay. There's, I just, I was just writing out sequence after sequence. Like, corkscrew moonsault. Uh, springboard that uh, Jeff had a springboard something or other. Uh, there was a there was a really cool hot tag sequence. I think it was, they did maybe two different hot tag sequences, but like one of them was so frenetic. The pacing was great. Um, they uh, oh there was a the drop toe hold tandem that got that went on to Jeff Hardy's yeah, dick. Great. Like the the bridging out of a pin. By edge um but yeah these guys are just coming up with new ways to impress every single time this is so much fun and it drives me crazy that jr knows no one's name no one's name he doesn't <laughs> know jeff from matt he doesn't yeah. know edge from christian it's just like two blonde guys two greasy guys they're going at it i have no he has no he has no idea you know why because not a single one of them played football <laughs> that's why so he, don't know a, he doesn't know a single thing about them the Hardys have been wrestling there since they were 17 you know what I mean like he should know them by now it's like very like weird. they've been at the Christmas party like they, they've literally been there since they were children like he should know them it makes me very mad um, I was like I know them you should know them they're not that hard to tell apart it really is. It really is very easy to tell them apart. Like, and as somebody who who has that fear with twin, you know, with twin brothers all the time, uh, of not knowing, not getting the right twin right. I mean, they figured they did it well for me. You know, like the faces are different, the hair is <laughs> different, different. Different outfits. They never wear the same. It's not they're walking around wearing the same outfit. You know what I mean? It's come on, Jr. JR just needs to have a little like flashcard in front of him that says Jeff Hardy, stupid sideburns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna make a call right now. I think that the that the toehold is really uh coming into favor 
as like as we roll into 2000 like i've been seeing a lot of toehold moves in the last few like homework and and pay-per-views this pay-per-view i feel like they're using the toehold a lot more than i saw it in like earlier 99 and 98 97 and 96 Well, we'll have to see and find out. So in this, oh shit, is it is it toehold Midian? <laughs> <laughs> so this one goes with uh, with Jeff on the top rope. Terry, meanwhile, pushes Jeff off, slaps Matt, and Edge and Christian are allowed the win. And Terry's shirt must just be glued to her boobs the way that she jumps yes. and nothing is well, coming out. Once the dollar bills were glued there, it's much easier to glue onto paper. <laughs> so then you could just glue the top directly. Actually, you know what? They have a 3M strip on the bills. And then it's easy. They just remove it afterwards. <laughs> the bills are there with Gorilla Glue. They're there forever. But the, the crop top, I think, is a 3M strip. And then she has the Acolytes attack the Hardys afterward, after Matt grabs Terry by the hair. I gotta say, thank God, because I, like, the entire time I was like, what are the Acolytes doing here? Like, they gotta what do something. What a great something. little twist. Like, I really should have figured out. I think it's a great that... little twist. That's the whole thing is like, you're waiting for the Dudleys to come down, yeah. and you're thinking this whole stuff. They just won the titles. So you're like, well, this makes perfect sense. They're obviously gonna show up because they're the number one contender, blah, 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 blah. And they really did, like, a very good red herring here it was a it was you know which doesn't happen in wrestling a lot it wasn't super telegraphed but it also like made perfect coherent sense that she's mad at them for not protecting her uh and then she executed this plan and she's terry is as we've established like one of the savvier um managers available and she knew that she would she'd have to have some muscle when she turns on them uh Mm -hmm. the plan here that does not happen so i don't think this is a spoiler because it doesn't happen uh, is originally the plan was going to be for Terry to uh, manage Edge and Christian, and Edge and Christian were going to split up over Terry, and uh, Terry was going to manage Christian. That was supposed to be the plan at this point, and they end up not doing it, I think just because um, Edge and Christian are so, pop- they're so popular as a tag team. I mean, thank God yeah. they don't. Yeah, would have been a huge mistake, but this is uh, that that's what was supposed to be set up here, and that's kind of what's happened. But, uh, but even with that aside... Uh, I think this is awesome. I just thought this was a great, a great match. I thought this was great storytelling. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, everyone's motivations make complete sense. We start getting some tension between these two tag teams who have been friends all along. Well, once they all stop pretending dope. to be vampires, then they all were friends. For a minute, they were like, <laughs> you're a vampire. No, you're a vampire. No, I guess we're both vampires. Wait a minute. We're neither of us vampires? Let's be friends. Oh, we're all this Canadian? Okay, whatever. Let's all just be friends. That's that to me. But don't, don't forget, they, they, were, they were fighting over who was a vampire first. <laughs> right. It's Coke and New Coke and Brood and New Brood. For somebody whose argument makes complete sense, is Big Show just the biggest bitch on earth? He's just, he's good, he's bad, he's a face, he's a heel, he like can't, it's just, ugh, yeah. I just just wanted to fall asleep when I was like listening to him. Fucking whiny. It's like, I, well, if you will observe in the footage here, apparently uh, the Rock's foot touched. And I hate that 
to begin with because you know to me the rumble is sacred and i love having a definitive winner of the rumble i i don't like this storyline at all i don't like what it's leading to um see i hate it i do like what it's leading to uh so i'm looking forward to hashing that out Oh yeah. Mm. Um, all I'm gonna say is it has some. It has something I to want... do with Raya the Last Dragon, and that's all I'm gonna say about that on, the, on right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, we... Did you watch it? Of course. Uh, oh, yeah. Did you watch it? <laughs> no, I haven't. It was really good. It was really good. Um, but there is something about that that makes me think of this. So keep it. Remind me when we talk about it. Uh, Raya the Last Dragon. Okay. <laughs> all right. Done. All right. Um. Uh, you did skip past uh, an Edge and Christian promo, and uh, you know it's there's not a lot to discuss there, but there is one thing that they said that was confusing to me. They referred to it as the championships that they wanted to get, and I'm like, isn't it one championship for both of you? Like, it's not you don't get two championships. No, you, you get two. You mean, you're trying to say two yeah, belts, but you can't say belt. So they want the two championships. A hundred. I you are right grammatically a hundred percent, but that's that's the vernacular in the world rules. Like they they those are cha- those are like the noun of what that is is a championship. And it is worthy. No, to- I, I understand, but it's a championship that is that is composed of two belts. I know, I I know, but you can't say belt, so you go two championships. It sounds silly. It is also like, worth it to uh, to go back to that promo to say that Edge says all that matters is that we got the victory, kind of um, showing that side of him. Yeah, um, the thing about Christian is he's really great in the ring, but whenever I hear him talk, it's always just a it, it, it's a bit of a downer. Which is ironic for a, a wrestler who will go on to take up the mantle of Captain Charisma. <laughs> Wait, Chris, Chris, yeah. Christian? You, uh, as a, as a, not in really? this company, but as a world champion, uh, Christian Cage, uh, Captain Charisma. I think Christian Captain Charisma, actually, no, that gimmick might have okay. been in. It occurred, Christian's peak years, both inside and outside uh, the WWE, were at a time when I wasn't watching wrestling, and most of it happened, I believe, uh, TNA Impact. Uh, so I definitely wasn't watching. But Captain Charisma, though as uh what he's known for known as as a singles competitor it's it's making up for uh you know it's like it's like when you call a a, a bouncer tiny <laughs> no he lives up to what he does he gets there be nice to christian <laughs> don't be nice to boss man though Ugh. oh god this shit they were in the lead up to the rumble teasing a split between Bossman and Albert, and I don't know when they patched things up, but even they don't care. This they were like, eh, "I don't remember." Yeah. What, what? Why are you guys even together? I mean, like in the first place, like <laughs> what do you guys bond over? Like, I don't get their relationship. Um, but some background here at this point: Taz, a recent imp- uh, import from ECW, debuted with a huge to a huge pop at Rumble, at Madison Square Garden. But uh, a lot of the guys think that he works too dangerously, and Vince McMahon does not did not like the way his release suplex looked. Like the, that's like a big part of his like move set. Um, he didn't love it, so like they didn't know what to do with him at this point. And he's little, and mm-hmm. Vince McMahon hates l- little people. So uh, that's how he ended up in the, going from this huge debut at Madison Square Garden to now facing the big boss man. He did look like a tiny boy 
next to Prince Albert. It was such a weird story that they were trying to set up where it was like, the match is over, but we're just going to, now we're just going to keep beating the shit out of him. And he's, we're just going to show that he can take it and keep coming back for it. He's, he's, you know, he's, uh, incorrigible. You know what I mean? Like he's got that, he's got heart, even though he's mm-hmm. a little guy, I guess, little, but like, it's it not fun. He's a little tough guy, but no, it's not. Uh, also, Big Boss Man's nightstick broke into three parts, which is LOL. Um, no, like, I don't know, man. Something tells me it might be a little bit gimmicked if it doesn't break into two parts. <laughs> okay. On February 7th, I marked out super hard during a fantastic main event that I'll probably mention again later on in the show. As Kane who we were told was institutionalized again earlier in the night, returned with Paul Bearer. Now, we've talked about violence against women earlier, and I know that it's a horrible, horrible thing, but there was something so funny about watching Tori in a neck brace try to be sexy at the same time. <laughs> it's a little bit... um. Uh... Um, Joan um, Cusack. Yes. yes, yes, it is very that. It's Joan Cusack at the prom. Mm-hmm. What is that from? Uh, uh, uh Sweet Sixteen. Sweet no, Sixteen candles. candles. Sixteen candles. Yeah. So this is supposed to be like a blood feud at this point, and this one just didn't carry any of the emotion that I think that they needed in order to tell this story, this something that has built up to this point. And I think that this is a real misuse of a Kane X-Pac match where you've got the opportunity to once again, sell um, Kane as the Michael Myers, the monster, the one who's never going to stop coming, especially considering you've got a no DQ stipulation. I want chairs, I want sledgehammers, I want bats, I want every single kind of weapon imaginable. And I guess it might, the thinking is that it might dilute the main event and all the carnage from there. But just let me see all of that. And then, in the end, when X-Pac uses the stairs to hold him down, it makes for a much more satisfying thing. Because he's tried everything to put this monster away. Have we seen Kane in a hardcore type match yet? Ever? Uh, yeah. Well, we saw him um, very early on in that first blood match inside Hell in a Cell with Stone Cold Steve Austin, just in his first year when he uh, won the the championship. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I was just trying to think. I couldn't really remember like what you were like any them ever doing that with him. What you're describing. Um, I agree. You know, it was, I mean, it's just, it's so reductionist just to be like, it's about a girl. Like, I don't know. They had so many other reasons to be upset with each other. Uh, The Tori thing, I think it's funny that she immediately, as soon as like she goes with X-Pac, she's got the JBF hair. Because she's evil now. Because she's evil. <laughs> yeah, she's evil. She's evil. She, we got evil. She is no longer just like um, uncontrollably pooping in Stephanie McMahon's bathroom. Now <laughs> she's a wild child. We are. This is now. We've reached Tori's final form. Like this. This is the. This is I finally see. the peak Tori. Get that perm, girl. 
Um, I like that X-Pac had a flame cannon. It's not a firework cannon. Maybe they took the same cannon and just switched it to a different yeah, setting. It also does t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to catch um, the fireball once. It did not go well. Uh, and then I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it, if it's too early to go to the end of the match. I mean, how much do we want to talk about it? But uh, I, there was something kind of funny that happened when uh, when Kane was was giving Tori the um, the tombstone, the safest tombstone ever. Save the uh, yeah again. Make that a ride. I I would definitely I will go on the Kane tombstone at Great Adventure ten times until I puke. <laughs> It turns out he's a public um, servant now. If if you ask him, he has to tombstone you. Can, you. you can find. You know where his right. office is. You could show up. <laughs> I, I'm your constituent. <laughs> um, so Tori's top. I mean, like, poor Tori is getting. She. I don't know why they decided it would be such a good idea for for her to like attack him from the back, and he pulls her over his shoulder, pulling her top fully down. So now she's like. She's just hugging him closely with her with her like boobs slipped out. He gets her into a tombstone and and like she rolls over immediately trying to adjust her boobs back in. Uh just a just a weird awkward uh sequence there. The cat she is not. Well yeah, there was no bubble wrap. Yeah, no. Yeah, she was she was just like, "No, no, no. Nobody get nobody needs to see these." Following that, we get an advertisement again to send in your bill and get the ugliest T-shirt ever. <laughs> send us the deed to your house, um, and you too can have the Shawn Michaels motorcycle leather hat. <laughs> this one though was was clearly like an iron-on. It was. It was an afterthought. It was like someone printed a seventy-two DPI photo of. <laughs> The cover of this pay-per-view DVD, a VHS tape, printed it out on a, like, inkjet, not even a laser, had a tear off the sides, and then then it was an iron-on. DIY at home. Also, also that Triple H pose, that's like a, that's a true bodybuilder pose, right? That's what they do in, like, the Mr. Universe competition, where, like, they need to, they turn to the judges to show them, like the bicep definition such a like for a guy who has like folded his arms or like held a sledgehammer it was just a very tame pose but a pose that if i had triple h's body i would be doing every single day i'm doing mine right now <laughs> and backflipping <laughs> right you backflip and then you pose Bobby, what can you tell us about the Radicals? The Radicals! So they are from WCW. I think you guys all know that. Back in WCW, uh, I mean, the Monday Night War is, for all intents and purposes, over. The, w- the WCW exists, but it sucks. They are losing just... There's no question that they're losing. Um, everyone over there is miserable. They're all dying to get out. Now, these four guys, obviously, we've seen some of them when we were doing some of our Chris Jericho deep dives um, into this group. Uh, and as I talked about with Chris Jericho, also unhappy and feeling like he was underutilized in WCW. So what's happening over there now, this is February, right? So in January, Chris Benoit had just won the world title in WCW in January. 
This is fucking January of wow. 2000. Uh, the, the 2000th year of our Lord. Uh, it is... So one month later, they're here. So this group, uh, it was Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, and Shane Douglas um, portrayed uh, a group on WCW called The Revolution that were almost like retribution now. They were like guys who were, they were, they, it was like a work shoot. They were mad that, you know, Hogan and all these old timers got all opportunities and these, they're the young guys and they're the talented ones and they're the ones that should be getting the opportunities. They've been held back by these assholes, which again, true to life, you know, art imitating uh, life here. So another wrinkle in all of this is the recently promoted head booker in D- WCW, Kevin Sullivan, his wife, Nancy Sullivan, who wrestled under the moniker Woman for a while. Um, Nancy okay. Sullivan, uh, in 97, uh, there, there was a storyline very similar to like the Terry Pillman, Goldust, X-Pac, Tori, Kane, classic trope. Um, both Benoit and Nancy Sullivan and Kevin Sullivan. And through the course of that, Nancy, uh, Nancy Sullivan and Chris Benoit uh, worked themselves into a bit of a shoot had an affair, Ooh. ended up getting married. Mm. So now Kevin Sullivan is in charge. Uh, obviously, he there is no love lost there with Chris Benoit. So they know that the writing's on the wall. So again, everyone in WCW is miserable. So they say anybody who wants to leave, you can like we'll release you because uh, you know WWE does this a lot too, where you know you don't want someone who doesn't want to be there there because it's you know bad energy, it's a negative, it's toxic. You know uh, they're not going to do the best work and they're going to poison every locker room against you if they're unhappy at a certain point. You got to cut them loose. So they kind of said like, hey, we're open. Like, go if you want to go, go. Perry Saturn calls, I think Bruce Pritchard, maybe JR, uh, that he's like, hey, we can come and we're, we're, we're ready. We're ready to go. And there was no talk of Shane Douglas. It was literally, even though he was the four, it was the four of them, the, what they were pitching was Perry, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, and Dean Malenko, as we saw. So Eddie Guerrero was not in their group there, but he was part of this as they were coming over. WWF was most interested in, I think the most interested in Benoit, second most interested in Perry Saturn, uh, then mm. then Eddie, then Dean. Uh, and honestly, maybe even in the beginning, Dean, then Eddie. Uh, because Eddie Guerrero, again, small guy. He's both small in, in height and he's also small in stature. But they were, um, Vince was really, you know, had reservations. Like, he's so small. Um, and they assured him that, and, and JR and Bruce Pritchard both really went to bat that he is the Shawn Michaels of Mexico. Um, that, that is that he is that good. He is that much of a superstar. He is that charismatic and special. They, they like pushed really hard. So they bring all of these guys over. Um, and that now they are here under the, the, the moniker, the radicals. Um, they're W they're, they're mentioning their WCW, um, time they're mentioned he was a though chrisman was a former world champion wcw at the time i believe actually like discounted his championship win like it never happened um it's like not it wasn't part of their records wwf then when they wwe when they bo- absorbed wcw fully in the official record it is now shown though actually now i'm not sure now <laughs> uh but at that time though they restored that and put his title reign as like part of the official timeline um so that's that's the radicals and their debut um, is so- um their debut in wwf was straight fire they just show up to a raw they're sitting in the front row road dog takes a cheap shot at benoit and then they just all start beating the shit out of them um they're called as saying that mick foley um invited them and he's the one who's kind of brought them into the fold there 
Uh, they're given an opportunity to win their way into contracts on SmackDown, but they lose all three matches partially because Eddie Guerrero in his first match in WWF and after all the reservations that Vince already had dislocates his shoulder doing a frog splash. Yep. So he really did hurt himself. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, boy. Not great. Not great. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm also curious. Uh, so Chris Benoit is married to what's her name? Kathy Sullivan. Yes. Um, Nancy, Nancy. Is she Sullivan. the one? Yes. yes. Nancy. Is yep. she the one? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh it's not a great story. <laughs> it's. <laughs> but what was a great story was on February 7th, the main event. <laughs> oh boy. Cactus Jack versus um, Triple H, X-Pac, Benoit, Dean, and Saturn. He's joined by The Rock, Rikishi, and Too Cool. And there were times where I couldn't hear the announce team. It was so loud in the arena. It is incredible to me how over Too Cool is. It's also amazing to me that uh, Jerry Lawler's son is a better dancer than I am. And I, I don't know quite how to, to feel about that. He's a very good dancer. I don't know if I'd say he's uh, dresser, a dresser. Um, I would very. I don't know if I'd call him a very good dancer. I mean, like I don't. I mean, I know we're talking on uh, straight man, gay man uh, values here. Uh, it's different. We're playing with different scales. I don't think he's a good dancer. <laughs> I mean, okay, he. I'll put it this way: he. Uh, he can do a couple tricks. He puts a lot. Of, he put. He puts a lot of energy into it. Um, is he, you know, like, yes, is he, uh, choreographed material? You know, is he, is he going to be able to learn a routine? No, no, not by any means, but a, for what he does is good. A good dancer at the club. Like, I don't think if he was just, I think he could do those couple cheesy gimmick moves to a gimmick cheesy song. It's kind of like being really good at doing, uh, the cha-cha slide. It's like, okay, like you could be good at that, but I don't think it necessarily makes you a good dancer. When I when I dance, I can either do moves with my arms, I can do moves with my legs, but I cannot do moves with my arms and my legs. I feel at like the same I've time. only ever seen you do moves with your arms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. know the one you're talking the, about. Uh, I the like shoulder. it. Yeah, the yeah. shoulder. We just gotta lean back. Hey, pull pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. I'm I'm trying to two step at the same time. But I'm having a great time doing yeah, it. Yeah, you don't look bad, but it is you have a signature move. But definitely, it's like that is Aaron's move. Thing, uh, Megan has a has a signature has a signature dance move that she does more often than than not, which also involves like arms and shoulders and like a little shimmy. It, hey, we all Question. we all we all have our things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, so can we just uh, did I don't know if did you pass over the radicals um promo i know exactly there was... feel free to go back i know exactly where we're going i thought that it felt like they were doing the pattern game uh from from uh from improv where it was just like are you nervous about your first match and they're like and each guy has to start with nervous <laughs> what do you mean nervous and like you know each person is just like nervous well it was to me just so funny because like I'm looking at these guys who are, eh, you know, in some ways literal, in some ways uh, uh, figuratively a murderer's row of wrestlers, mm. um, and I'm just Stay like, tuned, wow, folks. there's going to be a lot of jokes like that <laughs> over the next few years. 
But like, man, like the like the 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 talk on this is just like, what what are you guys doing? <laughs> this is so stupid. Like every time. Yeah, Dean, the only one Eddie Guerrero was great though. Dean even says, "Does this look like four faces of nervousness to you?" <laughs> Does this look like the, the four, four faces, faces of, of nervousness? Well, yeah. all, I, all I can think about is Stinko Malenko, and it's like, that's just the funniest fucking thing to me in the entire world. It's the funniest yes. thing that every time I see it. And, and when I was watching, like, during the match itself, he was giving me full Stinko Malenko. It would be like, kind of like a coward and running out. I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's yeah. Stinko Malenko. I wish they would have used that. There was a Stinko Malenko sign in the crowd. Oh, I didn't catch that. It it was amazing because like well, uh, we watched um, we watched Jericho versus Malenko mm-hmm. was that right Yep. And in that one, Malenko was like almost like a um, a, a Brock Lesnar type, right? I wouldn't like kind of well, like this. He, I wouldn't call him a Brock Lesnar in, in that he he was was not really he didn't speak a lot for sure, but he was also he, crazy over from that program. Because that was the one where we saw where he was dressed up as the uh, the Lucha Libre and then takes off the mask to reveal that it's him. Also, though, I think what you're thinking, Eric, is right. that he was wrestling cruiserweights. And he is, while he is not tall, he is like a solid squat dude. Like, he is like a, yes. like, he's got a, he's, he's, he's a, he's a thickums. You know what I mean? He's Big Chungus. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it is, right? So in in uh, in cruiserweights, he was he looked like a a big yeah. boy who was just like an unstoppable yeah, force. He was he was the Keith uh, Lee of WCW's cruiserweights. Yes, 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 yes. So then seeing him in this other role, I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! It's a uh, you know, it was it was like it felt like playing against type, even though. Now that he's in a different weight class, it you know it's not. It's playing to his type. Eric, I thought for sure when you went back to that that promo, you were going to go to Perry Saturn, who is the slutty town from Footloose. I guess <laughs> the only dancing that he accepts is on top of a table for dollar bills. <laughs> Did he say oh, that? Yeah, he said that. Yes. Oh, I don't remember that. No, I was, I was, I just thought it was so weird that they like that they just felt like they had to like latch on to one word from the question that uh, Michael Cole was asking, just to be like, uh, nervous. <laughs> Who's nervous? Can we talk about the worm versus the people's elbow? I would love to. That's exactly what I wrote yes. down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so all set up for an elbow drop. But yep. but I mean yeah. so I guess the the idea is that he's building up the energy, <laughs> he's gaining the energy from the crowd by doing the worm that allows him to drop this devastating elbow. I think it's no, I don't yeah. think there's like a I don't think the story they're telling is a physical one. Like I feel like what they're yeah. telling here is when the Rock did the people's elbow, it was facetious you know what i mean like he did it to be like all mm-hmm. oh, these bullshit wrestling nonsense oh look at this like, i'm in the crowd in the palm of my hand i'm gonna do all this and what am i gonna do at the end of this whole like song and dance just an elbow drop like it was like i'm fucking with you like i'm fucking with the expectation i'm 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 poning all these fucking like wrestling marks uh like that was part of the, it was like part of his cockiness 
and it, but then it got over and now it's this hugely popular, sincerely popular thing. And I think what it is with Sky Duhati is he wants so badly to be popular and he's so unbelievably like, I feel like the, the, the actual gimmick for too cool are the three main guys from American pie. You know what I mean? Like, or it's Seth green and can't hardly mm. wait. Like it's literally uh-huh. like they want so badly to be cool. That's, you know, hence the name that that's him. Like, be trying now purposely trying to do the joke seriously, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, they're they're like they're swag finishers, but they're not. The, they're not right. They're they're, they're not just... the same. I don't, that's the thing. It's like even though it's tempting to be like, oh, put them together, they're two different. One is earnest and one is not. You know what I mean? Like they're just different. They both are overly complicated. But and I think Otis's caterpillar is obviously in the same family as this, and that's like an as yet third other thing, which is just trying to do it and no one really caring. <laughs> so it's. <laughs> Uh, so I think it's like, it's like, uh, the, the first, the, the first, both the, the, why though the people's up on the worm are both so legendary though, is that they're like the prismatic views of themselves, you know, like everything's like reflecting off itself, reflecting off itself, reflecting off itself deeper and deeper. So it was like the rock trying to like make a statement about overly fussy, uh, wrestling bullshit uh, only to do that, only for it to really get over, and then it is actually building something people are legitimately excited for, which is so fucking funny. Like, I bet I can get you guys to cheer anything, even an elbow drop, a standing elbow drop. Uh, and then for Sky Duhati to be like, wow, people love big fussy moves. Look how much they love it when The Rock does it. I'm going to do it because they'd love me. Yeah. Like, he He's so sincere with it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they, I think, I mean, yes, they're not the same thing, but I think what, what I, what I was thinking was they just come from like, they come from the same observe, they come from the same place in that, but they're just different takes on different things. And as you said, like it's, yeah, it's like fun house mirroring. So, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like an iterative cycle where, you know, uh, the rock is making an observation and then that observation becomes the thing that he was ma- that he was parodying for real, and then that becomes the the thing that that inspires the next guy. So you know it it, it goes back to it's a horseshoe yeah. theory, right? It's so ironic that it becomes exactly. Sincere. It's like RuPaul's Drag Race. It started as like a, a skewering of reality, other reality shows like Top Model and Project right. Runway. Right, right, right. It was much more sharper satire, and then it became and then it, it it became a parody of itself, and then it became more sincere, like constantly like folding inwards. And now uh, the caterpillar is like devoid of all irony altogether, and that's why it's also not going to stick the same. Now, Bobby, you um, and we talked about Rikishi's um, debut kind of uh, alluded to the fact that you're less excited about his more ass based um, offense. Correct. Okay, sticking with that. It just it just gets to be, I think, you know, and you also felt this, which was that Rikishi is so actually fucking good. Like watching him just Mm -hmm. straight up actually wrestle is really good. Um, And I really Mm -hmm. like it. That when it's all about like shoving an ass in someone's face, it just seems so stupid and base, and it's just it's just like uh, reductive and and I don't know, it just it's just lame. It's just like cheat. It's just so stupid. I don't know. It's just so stupid. Uh, and I think for yeah. someone, or especially someone who can really fucking go and have these like really fun, interesting matches, to like 
have to like be the whole thing comes down to like ew butts it's so stupid it's like you guys have each other's faces in your taints the whole time you guys are constantly have <laughs> your faces in each other's taints like are we gonna make a big deal about it just it just it it's low-key gay panic it's also just like fat phobic in a way like and it's just i i don't like it that's that's it uh, well, I also think um, there's something. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, and I and for a guy who is as talented as that, like, I mean, look, I mean, you know, they're they're basically they they shot that wad with with viscera. That's all viscera does is just like they, you know, they were like, man, his weight is going to be such a problem for this other person. Um, what? I, what you're pointing out about like how it's it's a stupid thing to just like for him to shove his his ass in like Chris Benoit's face is to me what I was what I felt watching this is that this match felt tonally off like that like the the, the Rikishi too cool crew and the and three quarters of the new of the uh, I was gonna call them the new radicals. Uh, <laughs> Don't they give only get, up. They only get what they give. Um, come around, we'll kick your asses. Um, but like the three quarters of the radicals versus Rikishi and Too Cool, like there is. I mean, Rikishi is you know is a badass and he can go, but like. And you know, and Sky Tuhati and 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 uh, Grandmaster Sexay, they also have shown that they are you know that they have talent. But there's something that just doesn't gel about like the uh, the attitudes that they bring into the ring. It's weird to see somebody who is so, pardon the pun, really truly not intended, deadly serious as Chris Benoit, like you know, doing the after his face you know, after he gets like a bunch, a bunch of Rikishi's ass in his face, you know what I mean? Or like to, to believe that grandmaster sex a is, is fucking like sending Chris Benoit through the ringer is it, it's weird to me. It doesn't make sense as a, as a match. Do you know anything about the, uh, the rationale for having these guys lose their first pay-per-view? I do. Um, there's two big factors at play. One is they legitimately were trying to do something unexpected. I think going into this, you would think that the expected thing is the big guys making their big debut are going to go over in this match. So what do you want to do? Keep the crowd on their feet. Give them something unexpected. Rikishi's being set up for very big things. And the decision is made around now that he is kind of like earmarked for some very big stuff to come. Um, and I think Aaron knows what I'm talking about. Eric, you definitely will not. Um, but this, this is around this time that Rikishi's kind of earmarked for, uh, for big things ahead. Uh, and they and they're continuing to build him right now. So there was also part of Rikishi's build, part of doing a little bit of a, of a switcheroo. Um, these WCW guys are not going to get buried like some other ones have before in the same way. At least not all of them. Um, like, you know, they're not, they're not trying to fuck these guys over. At this point, the Monday Night War is so over that it doesn't make, you know what I mean? There's not even, it's not even worth it to rub their noses in it. So, um... I don't think that's as much of a factor here as much as honestly trying to keep the crowd um, giving something unexpected and also to give Rikishi the rub. And he does look great with that Rikishi driver into the bonsai drop at the end. And looks like uh, even the dance at the end, he looks like uh, gutsy as hell. Yeah, I like that. I always, you know, that sequence is fun. I like that, that he was like, no, I'm... I'm too injured. I can't dance. And they like, you know, talk him into it. 
it, you know, it was it, that that stuff was super fun. It like I I like watching them wrestle. I just yeah, it just felt weird having them, especially with all the build up around these guys. I mean, Perry Saturn. I I don't think I heard the name before, but that guy just looks like a fucking GI Joe or or like a you know he just looks like an action figure. Well, don't get too attached to him. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh well. He's something of an also ran. And Rikishi is maybe the only guy to ever look good in wraparound shades. Then we go back to Kurt Angle's celebration tour where he literally pours an icy on a child. (laughs) And then we continue with the Big Show and the Rock story. The Big Show um, is pleaded his case. He had pictures. He brought in Dotson. And eventually he found footage that showed the Rock's feet touched before the Big Show went over. Um, the truth doesn't matter, I think, is, is the important thing. The, the, it doesn't matter. The Rock is the winner because the Rock kind of absorbs it. And I think that it goes back to a lot of what Eric said at the end of our Royal Rumble episode in that Big Show did get screwed here. But Big Show's actions or his attack afterwards was not of a man who got screwed. I think Big Show looks good early on with the early offense. Um, I don't know the reason why he got a chair when he was just beating the shit out of the rock so easily early on. Yeah, this was a match. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Uh, the biggest note I have is um, at one point Lawler just is like, "Do you ever put your hand through a small window?" And I was like, "What is going on over there?" Have you ever seen an animal, a dog, like, an animal try to dance? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been in a Turkish prison? That like, what? That what image you? of the Rock getting thrown through the window was really fucking cool, and was definitely cooler than anything that happened here. All right, let's go to the finish. Yeah. Oh, and then Shane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Rock gives a rock bottom. He's about to give the people's elbow, but before he can, Shane runs in with a chair. Big Show is going to WrestleMania thanks to Shane McMahon. It's really, yeah, it, like, it sucks that, that there's something about Big Show that really just, like, you know, sucks the air out of the room. I don't. I, I assume it gets. I, I assume it gets better because he's got a very long career, and I assume he's a Hall of Famer. But it, right. I don't know. Right now, the performances are just not fun for me to watch. And there, I think there's a point where Big Show starts having a little bit of fun with himself, and I think that that helps a lot. There's this like this this level of self seriousness about him, which with the entrance music and just like his look and his build and everything like that. I think he needs to lean into the goofy and lean into the fun a little bit more in order to come back around to being like the serious ass ass kicker. Yeah, he should he should be like if the Godfather met the acolytes. Like he like I feel like the the roadhouse aesthetic uh jibes well with uh with his music, right? Mm-hmm. It's I feel like if you know if you went to see the band that plays the Big Show's music, mm-hmm. the you know like um, 
the acolytes would be checking your ID at the door. Yeah, they'd be playing behind chicken wire. Right, exactly, exactly. And so, like, you know, you, you know, Farouk is like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a twenty-one and over show. You know that, right? Hmm. And, you know, and then they finally let you in. But like, so you get that part. But then, you know, the Roadhouse also has just gregarious big guys who you don't fuck with like you know like you get to a point with them like you know that you can kid around with them but there's a point where like you stepped a little too far and that's when they fucking put you in your place and i think that's what big show's sweet spot should be he should be the guy who's just like kind of fun doesn't have much of a care in the world but like if you fucking turn it up a little too much or if you do something that goes against his like his personal moral compass he will fucking smack you down and that's my TED Talk. <laughs> so following this match, we get the uh, the pre-match package for the main event. And then, rather than going to the main event, we have Kurt Angle on his way out of the building where Jericho and China beat him and throw him into a trunk. Pull out that tail light, guy. By the way, um, I thought it was very funny that in in the um, the package going through the years of Hell in a Cell, they left out one specific Hell in a Cell match. <laughs> You're talking about Boss Man, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Wonder why they didn't want to show the <laughs> Boss Man match. Also, I drew back on uh, Kurt Angle there for a second, being thrown in a trunk by Chris Jericho, and I believe. Wait a minute, is that the nanny, Fran Fine? <laughs> <laughs> That was my purple so jumpsuit moment, hell- finally. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. So this is what a Hell in a Cell match should be. And not that we haven't had great Hell in a Cell matches leading up to this, but I think the purpose and Hell in a Cell, when it's used best, and the reason why I think Hell in a Cell is lacking for me in recent years, Hell in a Cell should be two guys who have fought each other every single way that is possible and the only way left to settle this feud is to lock them in a cage and have them duke it out and too often now i mean the hell in a cell is a pay-per-view and so it's just like oh who's gonna do the hell in a cell match at the hell in a cell pay-per-view and i really wish that they should change that we've had this convo i think a few times and i think that Right, you're right. You're, you're totally right. Right now, uh, Hell in a Cell is like a less cool elimination chamber, and you're like, why do we need this? We have elimination chamber that's like a thing and like has a reason and also seems like a lot um, more daunting than this. And I think you're right, because Hell in a Cell is better when it's personal, but you need to be contained, you need to keep outside interference. I think they, they default more now to last man standing matches, I feel like, as the mm-hmm. the ultimate blow-off. I think that's where we're heading with Drew and Sheamus and Wrestle, at uh, WrestleMania this year if not Fastlane. Um, I think that's become sort of the default. We just had it with Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens. Uh, I think Last Man Standing has sort of become the the the, the go-to. And I, I think they should get rid of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view and instead, like you said, like build stories that then work in a Hell in a Cell like this. Like that's how you get the legendary ones instead of like the series of unforgettable ones we've had. Where I think the only ones I can really remember in recent memory are just the women's ones because they've been so novel and new. So Charlotte and Sasha, Sasha and, and Becky, Sasha and Bailey. Um, I remember those and uh, and Seth and Fiend because of that bullshit at the end. Yeah, I remember that for the worst reasons. Yeah. 
I don't think this match is better than the one that they had at the Royal Rumble, but at this point, I think we're like that I'm quibbling between two fantastic things that had me on the edge of my seat and I enjoyed the entire way through. Yeah, Cactus Jack and Triple H at Royal Rumble, Cactus Jack and Triple H and No Way Out. Who wins? The audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think that this is better than the last one, but it's a fantastic match. I'm also, I also don't know if this one, if this one beats, um, the one, uh, Mankind and Undertaker. No, I mean, it does it do, um, it, it, it doesn't full, st- I mean, you're, we're talking about the most classic match inside Hell in a Cell of all time. Yeah. And, and the thing is though, like there are some great moments in this, but also, uh, you know, to get greatness, you know, sometimes you need that, like that spark of the unpredictable. You need like, you need, you need these happy accidents. You need these things that like truly make you realize that there's sports in the sports entertainment. And there was some, this match as great as it was, was also a very, uh, uh it was a technical feat, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they did an amazing job planning all of the spots that they were planning to do and they were so good at it that you could kind of see that they planned it yeah i can see that i mean how's he going to get that uh that two by four wrapped in barbed wire lit on fire if he doesn't have the lighter on him so cool i'm all yeah that i mean look that's all that's just very cool i is it weird that they put a lighter on top of the uh cage from a story standpoint, yes. Why would you have a lighter there? Who kids um, a fuck? But no, yeah, exactly. Did not. Gi- I did not give a fuck about that. I think the part I'm I'm referring to the most, I think, is uh, is the falling through the top, right? Because you know, I knew that I was waiting for like when is he gonna fall through the top because of the, you know, the happy accident from mankind versus Undertaker, and. You know, you like when you see the 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 basically the trap door swing open, and you're like, "Wow, that was a very that was a very clean uh, opening." You know, uh, breaking through the top, and you know the way he landed in the crash pad underneath the the um, the ring. You know, like uh, on the ring, like all of that stuff. Again, I'm very happy it was safely done. I'm happy they pulled it off and they made it look cool. Um, but also it was something kind of expected and it looked like it was a planned thing, right? I guess, but I don't know. I yelled in the moment. I, uh, I yelled to an, to an empty room. Natalie came out. I rewound it and made her watch it and she hated it. But <laughs> well, also Natalie, every time like anybody take, anybody has anything happen to them in wrestling goes is are they really hurt yeah <laughs> you have to be like no no they're not it's it's faking not this um just to rewind i want to talk about steph's outfit um terrible shoes again and i feel like she's she's kind of dressed like it's demo day on fixer upper <laughs> like <laughs> i yes. feel like i feel like she like she was just like, look, I know I'm going to have to hug him when he's bloody and sweaty, and I really don't want to ruin an outfit. So. Done. Done. 
did also not to be gross, but did her boobs get like bigger or something? Is it is? I feel like I've been noticing her chest a lot more than I did when she first was introduced. Um, I don't think she's gotten any enhancements yet. I think we were a little while away from. Yeah, that. I agree. I, I also I concur. So if anything, maybe she's she's got something that's pushing them up a little bit more. I don't know. Or or maybe just like you know they took her they were like uh, we can we can work on that and got her like a size smaller shirt mm-hmm. or you know something like that that's a little bit more form fitting. Anyone else have anything to say about this match? It was amazing and I loved it. Uh, I thought it was, <laughs> yeah. I, I there was a really good build up to this. I I actually wrote the note. It made me wish I had like buffalo wings with me, like. <laughs> This is something that I really would have enjoyed watching with you guys mm-hmm. like together live, you know, just like, you know what I mean? Like that, like uh, in recent times, I feel like there's been a couple of those pay-per-views where we were just like, oh, man, this is going to be so fucking good. Yeah. Probably like I, I want to say like maybe Becky Charlotte, mm-hmm. uh, Hell in a Cell or, 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 you know, there were there were just a couple of those matches. And this felt like that. This felt like oh man, like this is going to be such an intense uh, display. And it, I don't know. I got really, it got, it, it did the job of getting me worked. I mean, vaccines are becoming more widely available. So hopefully sometime really, yeah, really right? soon. I liked, uh, I liked that they, that they kind of uh, p- played with the expectation that Cactus Jack was definitely going to try to get out of the cell and they planned for it. So they're like, no, no, no. The cell is fully chained up. You're not going to get out of it. Oh, and then when he fucking throws the stairs and they go through the cage and you see like the way he just all of a sudden, like you can see the inspiration, you know, as he's faking, having the inspiration (laughs) and the crowd flips out. And he throws himself, bloody mess and all, throws himself through the cell. Yes. Uh, Awesome. Um... I one funny thing when uh when Triple H throws the throws the stairs at uh at Mick at some point King goes how strong is Triple H to be able to throw those steps and I'm like I don't know maybe like he's got the upper body strength of a 10th grader like anybody <laughs> can throw those right Um did did Triple H blade? Oh for sure. Okay. Eric, how do you feel about the fact that you're never ever going to see Mick Foley ever again? Um, man, again, look, I was I marked out for this for this match, so uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, as the Bachelor would teach you, I'm gonna I'm gonna make myself vulnerable and uh, take down my walls and just say I was you know near the verge of tears at what I thought would be the end you know like uh like mick going out on his back now i know he comes back i don't know i know i know like it's not the last time i'll ever see him because i've seen him as a commissioner but as far as i can tell like this felt like it was him being sent out you know into like early retirement there were i just had a couple things uh i Loved the barbed wire, the, the two by four with the barbed wire. I like seeing that again. I think it's weird that they keep it by the bell. I don't know why. <laughs> why that's its storage spot. This, um, and this time it's got a little handle. Well, the same reason why they keep 
I know ladders and tables under the ring. I don't know. (laughs) Why is anything anywhere? But look, the kendo sticks under the ring. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just saying if I'm the, if I'm in the parental figure in the, in the, the, the locker room, I'd be like, listen, all of your toys belo- belong below the ring. Do not put that that two by four right by the belt. You know that the people are going to be standing there. You know what I mean? Like everything has its place, and all of your pots and pans and ladders and all of your tables, all that stuff goes under the ring, including your two by four. Um, and then the other thing is, I think that we should replace the Statue of Liberty with Mick Foley standing, holding the flaming 2x4 wrapped in barbed wire. I think that's a much better way to welcome people uh, coming into Agreed. our country. I will jump on that Kickstarter. All right, I'm done. Now you can move on. <laughs> so one more little bit of business. For years, WWE hosted a yearly award show called the Slammy Awards, and we end each episode of Hell in a Cell Phone with our own version of Slammies in a segment we call For Your Reconsideration. I'm going to give. Go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh nope, you're going to go. Go for it. I was going to give an honor, the honorary degree in obstruct, Oh my god, obstruction. Obstructionism. No, no, no. Gyn is a obstetrician. Obstetrician. Okay, I'm going to take that because <laughs> you have no idea what I'm saying. Uh, I'm going to give the honorary degree in. Nope, can't do it. Uh, Obstetrics. Obstetrics. Obstetrics, okay. I'm going to give the honorary degree in obstetrics <laughs> and gyne- This is all staying in, in Gynecology now. to Jerry Lawler <laughs> for saying that Mark Henry has the world's strongest sperm for getting Mae Young pregnant with a hand. <laughs> well Thank done. you. It took a while to get there, honestly. <laughs> I'm exhausted. It's a hard word, honestly. Obstetrics. Obstetric. See, yeah, and then a plus you're like, wait, what's the like, you know, the, the field of study, not the not the practitioner? Because obstetrician. Yeah, yeah. I I think we could all get obstetrician out pretty easily. Ob- but obstetrician. Yeah. yeah, see, it's tough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> I'm. Uh, yeah. Obstetrics. Sorry, go on. I'm going to give the uh, yellow flag award to Jr. Because with all those chop blocks, Dean Ambrose, or not Dean Ambrose, uh, Dean Malenko gave in that match and him not going to anyone's football career. You've got four new guys here, sir. I need to know who they played for, when they played, and how they played. <laughs> uh, yeah, Heisman winner, Dean Malenko. <laughs> um, I'm going to give the... Uh, TKO award, and by TKO, I uh, I mean the Jackbox game TKO, where you make uh, T-shirts that are like pictures with slogans. I'm giving that award um, to I guess. Well, it's tied between the New Age Outlaws and the and the uh, the Acolyte Protection Agency. Um, what I noticed at first with the Acolytes, their their shirt on the back says. Uh, don't hunt the hunter, which is one of the lamest things I could think of as a as a motto. Like the hunter becomes the hunted, or the the hunted becomes the hunter is cool. Don't hunt the hunter is just kind of like you know 
don't argue with the chef. Uh, and then, not to be outdone, uh, X Pac, his shirt says, down where? Down hit, down there. And that was it. Or no, down here. Down where? Down here. That's it. I don't even understand what that means. It's kind of the the t-shirt equivalent of saying what's under there to get your friend to say underwear. (laughs) Right, exactly. Oh, uh, you like my Bofa shirt? (laughs) Bofa what? Bofa these nuts! Oh... Love us, disagree, want to hit us with a two boy. F- a two boy four. Want to hit us with a two by four wrapped in barbed wire that is also on fire? Let us know. Email us at hellinacellphone at gmail.com. Get updates on Facebook or Twitter at hellinacellpod or tweet at us individually. Eric at Prime Silver, Bobby at Bobby Hank, and Aaron at Slow Pass. Our theme song is There Are Traitors in Our Mitts by Disco Vietnam and our artist by Alexis Yavni. Find links for both in our episode notes. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever get your podcasts. And we'll be back again with our annual Slammy Awards and follow that with our coverage of WrestleMania 2000.